forward to the cloud. Hello, beautiful humans, and welcome back to another episode at the Bitcoin Stoa. As a reminder, the Stoa is a community-funded platform, so if you enjoy listening, you can send uh, some SAS to the QR code on our homepage at bitcoinstoa.com, or you can use something like the Breeze Wallet, which has a really badass podcast feature. Uh, if you find the information useful, share it with people you know who are curious about Bitcoin, because spreading the message is how we get to a Bitcoin future. Current Moscow time is 1993 at 7.15, 4.30. And with that said, it is my honor to welcome Alex Vetsky, who has kindly offered his time this afternoon to have a conversation. Alex, welcome to the STOA. Hey, brother. Thank you so much for having me. You're very welcome. So just to give a little bit of context before we dive into some juicy stuff, because I want to get into your concept of selective, selective adoption and talk about the remnant. Um, but before we do that, because people might not be familiar with who you are, um, I'd love to hear your Bitcoin story. You know, when did Bitcoin find you and what were some of the more significant moments leading to where we are today? Um, cool. So I think, you know, a bunch of people have probably heard this story, but, um, my, my one started, I guess, at least the, the seeds were planted in, in 2012 when I was a sort of gold silver guy. And I, I had, I mean, if, I think for a lot of people during that time, you know, there was this sort of the early libertarian, you know, mention of Bitcoin. And I honestly, I heard about it and took, absolutely did not take it seriously, didn't care. Um, and it was completely off my radar until 2016. And it was 2016 again, where I got interested. Um, a friend of mine who was this sort of junkie that was buying um, stuff off the internet with Bitcoin um, mentioned it. I was like, man, is that fucking thing still around? Um, I started looking into it and the more I looked into it, I mean, initially, so I've, you know, got this little meme, which is I came for the money, but I stayed for the money. So as I, as I looked into it, I thought this is, fuck, maybe I could trade this thing. Maybe I can make some money. Um, I, you know, looked at shit coins for a little bit. You know, I, I say that I climbed Mount stupid, um, and came down very quickly. Um, it's a rite of passage, and- I think in a lot of cases. Yeah, it, it is. It is. And and the thing is, it's a rite of passage to know who has the ability to move beyond it and who ends up stuck there in Mount Stupid, basically. And it tells you a lot about a person's intellect, a lot about their character um, and a lot about the people you want to you want to associate with. Um, so, so for me, I no longer want to associate with those people. I honestly I see them as lower than me um, and I see them as lower than other Bitcoiners who've actually managed to go through that rite of passage. So like the longer you stay there, the more of a subhuman you are to me um, because it just tells me like it's a heuristic to basically analyze and measure your character or your intellect. Um, I don't want to be around fucking morons. Um, so that's the intellect capacity. Um, and I don't want to be around scammers um, and people without integrity because there is a lot of people who get it um, and know that it's a scam, but they stay there because they want to continue scamming people. Hmm. And for me, I just don't find that interesting. So um, yeah, it's like a litmus test. Dude, it's like a quick a assessment. Of... Can you still hear me? Yep. I still got you. You're a little bit glitchy, but I still got you. I mean, was that me or you? I don't know. My internet seemed stable. I checked it and it was okay. I paused the recording, so it's all good. I was just saying okay. your, your whole notion of not associating with people who got stuck there and essentially didn't pass the initiation test is almost like it's a, it's a really nice litmus test to conserve your energy, right? Because you, you don't have to go further. You get an idea of where someone is and 
it, it tells you if you should just move on, if it's a waste of time and energy, or if this person's worth having a conversation with. And I think that's, that's what you need to do in today's age, is conserve energy radically. And so, yeah, it is a good test. Yeah, it's, it's, I think it's what we're going to get into later, which is the, you know, the selective adoption thing. It's like, you know, I have the, the older I get, the more mature I become, the more I become a, an exclusion maximalist um, instead of an inclusive maximalist. Like I want to say no to more things. Like I think the biggest, I mean, in your twenties, one could argue that you need to go out and just say yes to everything. So you can gain as much experience as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, but now that I'm in my thirties, I want to say no to as many things as possible. I don't want to fucking do it. I don't want to add more things to my schedule. I don't want to go after new opportunities. I don't want to, you know, fucking whatever fairy tale to chase. Like I, I, I want to narrow down my um, energy expenditure and focus it on things that really matter. So anyway, so you, you've got two types of people that have climbed Mount Stupid. Those who are too stupid to come back down and those who are too um, scammy, uh, opportunistic, um, scummy and all that sort of stuff like so so the bad characters that know what they're doing is wrong like mm. the Andreessen Horowitz of the world and all that sort of stuff and they're just there to rape and pillage and want to create new forms of seniorage so so I, I don't want to be around poor characters and I don't want to be around poor intellect so so anyway I did that climbed Mount Stupid um, came back down very quickly um, a significant moment for me was I wanted to build a business to help people accumulate and acquire Bitcoin. And at the time there was the ICO boom. And I was like, fuck, this looks like an incredible way of uh, raising capital without having to dilute my own shareholding. I was like, this is fucking genius. Um, And and genius in the sense that it's unfair for the investor, but totally fucking fair for me. Um, And so, so I went away on a, on a sort of holiday weekend, not really holiday weekend. I, I went away to a holiday destination for a weekend and just read um, 20 white papers, basically every from companies or companies from token sales that have raised a million dollars up to a hundred million. And honestly, I lost the fucking 20 or 30 points of IQ reading that shit. I was like, man, this has got to be the dumbest shit I've ever read. Um, It's all a fucking lie. And just something inside me just couldn't allow me to just, I, I just thought, man, but, I guess this was instinct. Like even then I wasn't a total Bitcoin maxi, but I just knew that there was something important about Bitcoin. And I was like, man, I don't want to sully my reputation and I don't want to shit all over what I'm doing here. And I don't know, some force of integrity within me, some force of self-preservation, you know, for, for being around Bitcoin, etc. Like it just wouldn't allow me to do that. So, so when I came back, that that's really what started to accelerate my path towards like stripping away all the stuff. And then, you know, really, I think the, the toxic taco Bitcoin maximalists, so like Rory Highside, you know, Dita Bob, um, Mr. Hoddle, uh, Psychedelic Bardo, like all those guys were, you know, instrumental because I kind of found a tribe of people who were like, fuck, okay, so it's not just me being, you know, overly harsh. Like there is a bunch of other people who've actually figured this out as well. Mm. And these guys actually seem to be straight talking, truth, fucking integrity, like that they're, they're spot on. Um, whereas all this other fucking crap was just marketing, like blatant, hands down, mindless fucking marketing, talking to the lowest common denominator of morons um, that are out there. And that shit didn't appeal to me. Whereas the, whereas the hard, direct, you know, condensed trolling element of you know toxic bitcoin maximalism and that spoke to me because it's true it was fucking signal so um so yeah man that's that was sort of my journey and then since then 
I guess I started writing a couple of years ago, which, um, which sort of put me on the map. Um, and yeah, mixture of building company, writing, podcasting and speaking. That's sort of where my spread of time is these days. Have you always been a writer or was writing just a good outlet for you to get your thoughts out into the world? Yeah. Ever since I was young, man, like I, you know, I've got one day I might actually compile all of my early notes. So, so I only started writing publicly in 2016. Um, okay. And you look at my medium, like the original pieces were all um, kind of about business and startups and all that sort of stuff. And then, you know, I started writing a little bit about Bitcoin, a little bit about crypto. And then you sort of see this whole evolution of like Bitcoin, 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 and it just gets harsher and, you know, more narrow and more tight and more, you know, yep. fierce as, as things go. So, um, but prior to that, yeah, definitely since I was younger, I was just, I would write my own journals, write my own thoughts, a whole bunch of philosophy and shit like that. And, um, and yeah, it's, it's, I, I think it's a very cathartic, powerful, um, powerful outlet and something that people should definitely do. Yeah. I think, I think you have to be around the bullshit to develop an immune recognition of it so that when you see it, there's like your immune system's like, boom, I know what that is. I recognize it. It's out. And I think a lot of people, like I never, I didn't really go through, I, I, heard about Bitcoin from, I used to be a physical therapist, heard about Bitcoin from a patient of mine that was a computer programmer and he wouldn't stop talking about it. So I, I, I literally bought a coin in 2015 so I could have conversations with him about this thing. Cause I was like, fuck, it's awkward. If I, if I don't speak about any of this and I see this guy twice a week, but so I, somehow I skipped the, the shit coin phase, but I think that that gave me a lesser immune system to be able to like parse the noise. Mm -hmm. um, and so I almost had to like dive in and see like, what's the landscape like over there? Uh, like cold exposure, right? Get in. It's super uncomfortable. It's super, it just, I get that same feeling where it just makes me uncomfortable when I hear all these things where I'm like, this is, this is total bullshit. And this is, uh, like, but I can see how this will hook people. I can see how it'll mm -hmm. get people. I understand the perspective they're coming from and who their target audience is. Um, and yeah, I feel like going through the shitcoin phase really stimulates a powerful immune system so that you're able to just focus fully and have the guardrails so tight that, you know, the laser eyes analogy, right? Like a laser beam, you focus it fully, that laser will go a kilometer, right? If it's focused, uh, if you dilute it, it might not even light up a room. So mm -hmm. I think it's really a powerful analogy, the laser eyes of just being focused on Bitcoin because it's the only salient thing right now. It's the most important thing. Um, and then you, so when did you start building Amber? That was in 2018, but, you know, we can sort of write that year off because that was a year of like, exploration team formation discovery raising cool. capital um in the first half of 2018 basically i got laughed at for not doing a token because i was trying to raise money ethically like people are like Where, where's your token i'm like you don't need a fucking token bro and they're like yeah but i just invested in this token for toasters and for dentists and i'm like <laughs> you're a fucking idiot like i'm offering you a piece of a company like real equity and they're like no we don't want that you should be doing a token so so i got laughed at in the first half then in the second half when everything collapsed I got laughed at um, for doing a Bitcoin company because they're like, haven't you seen the news? Bitcoin's mm. dead. Um, so yeah, it was, a, it was a tough year, but we, we made it through. Cool. Good on you. Um, two things I'm curious to hear your perspective on. What's your perspective on Bitcoin culture as a whole based on where you are right now? Um, like what, what are your observations on the culture that has emerged if you do mm -hmm. see a, a culture that you can acknowledge as like, you know, the collective culture? if you will, of Bitcoin. Uh, what's your perspective on that right now? 
Yeah, I don't, I don't think there's a collective culture. I think there's um, a series of subcultures. And for me, that that's very healthy because what that means is Bitcoin is quite... Um, quite prone to to fragmentation um in terms of from a cultural standpoint and that's Mm -hmm. actually how society should function like you know this idea of you know large-scale cultures uh is antithetical to to life in general because life is something that uh you know it it runs in parallel um runs multiple uh, experiments in parallel that that's the process of life um and to to have you know large scale cultures means you're running less processes in parallel, which means you're actually slowing down the process of life. Right. Um, you're slowing down the process of evolution. So Bitcoin's a beautiful example of, you know, all of these subcultures and in every single subculture, there seems to be multiple other subcultures. Like even in the toxic Bitcoin maximalist space, right. You've got people like me, you've got people like Dita Bob, you've got people like, you know, Mr. Hoddle, you've got people like, um, you know, the memers, and a bunch of them all fucking hate each other anyway. Like, you know, like, you know, sure. Hoddle and Dita Bobber is a fucking great example. Like they're, they're yeah. both OG Bitcoiners. They've both been there from the start. They've both been calling out scammers, but they fucking hate each other. It's hilarious. Sure. Um, and, and, and that's fine. That's, that's one of the beauties of like Bitcoin is it's not one big cohesive horseshit culture. It's, um, it's a bunch of subcultures and people can get along across multiple dimensions. They can ally when they want to, and then they can, you know, part when they don't want to. And that's perfect. Yeah. Yeah. I think diversity, you're right. Like monoculture is death. Diversity Mm -hmm. is life. And it's like Mm -hmm. running those, the more experiments we can run, um, the more sort of, of the Darwinian process can run its course. And then from that emerges the strongest, the most resilient, Mm -hmm. right. And it's a mixture of everything. And, uh, yeah, that's a, that's a great answer. Let's talk about Isaiah's job because you, Mm -hmm. in your article, Bitcoin, Bitcoiners are the remnant. Um, the masses don't matter. You mentioned the essay titled Isaiah's job by, uh, Albert Nock. And I read it and it was very powerful. So can you speak a little bit about maybe the story from a high level and sort of the inspiration that you got from it or the, the insights that you took away from, um, from that essay? Yeah. So I guess um, that essay is said to have inspired everyone from Rothbard to Ayn Rand and all that sort of stuff. And, and I heard about it through Francis um, who, you know, he's, he's kind of been using that meme for a long time. And his comment was like, if you haven't read this, essay you're a retard um so for a while i I hadn't read it yep so then so then anyway i ended up getting around to reading it and inspired me and the basic premise of it is um is this this guy wants to um you know i think it was do some writing or something like that um and appeal to a larger audience and then you know someone uses uh isaiah as um as a as a prophet of um god in the story or the um, the principles around what God told God tells Isaiah um, as reasoning behind not diluting his message and not bothering appealing to the masses, but to keep the signal pure and uh, appeal to those who are actually worthy of hearing the message. And the 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 biblical reference there is, um, you know, God tells Isaiah to you know be a remnant not of um, the masses, but to be a remnant. Oh, sorry to be a prophet not of the masses but to be a prophet of the remnant and the remnant being you know this kind of archetype of human who um is more critical knows how to survive you know remains after the after destruction and and you know the the presupposition there is to remain beyond a a dark difficult hard time 
requires you to have a strong character, requires you to be prudent, requires you to have been somehow prepared, requires you to be not just a member of the fucking sheep that gets slaughtered, but, you know, someone more intelligent than that. So, you know, God tells Isaiah to get up and preach on the mountain. And he goes, you might be talking to everybody, but of the hundred people that, you know, hear you, uh, maybe one or two will listen. Um, but those one or two are the ones that are important and the ones that are going to help uh, make the impact, change the world, etc. Whereas the other 98, they're the sheep who are just going to, you know, goes in one ear, goes out the other, and they don't fucking matter in the first place. So if you go and dilute the message to try and appeal to them on a lower level, what you're going to do is you're going to, you're going to attract the dumbasses who you don't want anyway, but you're also going to repel the remnant who are the people you want. And, and mm. I tried to use the analogy of the 300 um, in, in either the first or the second uh, part of the series is that, you know, you look at the 300, they were the fucking soldiers. And it's, you know, the, the, the scene that really comes to mind is when, the, when Leonidas uh, meets the leader of the Arcadians. And then he asks, you know, each of them, what is your profession? What is your profession? He's like, oh, I'm a, you know, I'm a blacksmith. I'm a fucking farmer. I'm a, you know, textiles person or whatever. And they asked the, the Spartans, what is your profession? It's like, oh, oh. So it's like that difference uh, of archetype is, is what matters. And we're at a point in Bitcoin's um, history where we require remnant blood, remnant energy, remnant archetype people to form the core of this movement um, because we genuinely have an enemy that is, tearing apart the fabric of society and destroying it before our very fucking eyes not as some grand plan of the fucking lizards but as a bunch of incompetent fuckwits who believe that somehow their fantasy version of the world should take precedence over fucking reality right so we've got a kind of you we, we have gravity and reality on our side in the form of bitcoin and we've got to bring that to bear but we've got to overcome massive odds to do that. So we want to appeal to the remnant archetype to do that, not to the sheeple, the fucking masses and the lemmings who will basically believe anything, um, including jumping off a cliff towards paradise. So, Yeah, well said. And I, I love how essentially, you know, God even said to Isaiah, like, you're, it's going to fall on deaf ears, basically. And then Isaiah's like, well, what's the point of doing it? He's like, because the people who hear it that you don't know, even know here are the most important people who need to hear it. And the, his, the whole notion that your job is not to convert the masses it's to reassure the remnant, right. To reassure, to put out the signal, to let others know, like, you're not alone. I'm here. You, what, not many of us might hear this, but nevertheless, it's like, you know, the Pareto principle of like the, the few of us that actually are going to do something productive are the ones who need to hear this. And there's massive danger in adultering and diluting the message to appeal to the people who have actually no, impact on the next world, right? Like they're mm -hmm. essentially self-selecting to not be part of um, the core that is actually going to form the new world. Uh, anyway, to everyone listening, I'll, uh, I'll link the, um, that essay from Mises.org on, uh, on the episode page for this. So you can go ahead and read it. And I highly recommend you do. Um, let's talk a little bit more about the remnant because I love how you broke down the remnant into categories, right? Like you have the, I think you called it the, the dormant, the active, and then the radical remnant. So can you talk a little bit about how, how you layer? Okay. The remnant is if it's 80, 20, the 20% 20 of people who will have 80% of the impact in building the future world are the remnant. The 80% of people 
will have 20% of the impact. That is the, uh, the masses. So if we take that special group, like, and yeah, I think that that scene in 300 is very powerful, right? Cause the Acadians brought up maybe a thousand men, um, but zero soldiers, right? Whereas like, uh, Leonidas brought 300 soldiers, which each one might be worth a thousand men. And so this whole idea that like a hyper-concentrated subgroup, which is the minority, but the only min- the, the impactful minority is the remnant. But even within that group, there's layers um, of the remnant. So I'd love to, for you to talk about like the differentiation between dormant, active, radical, the roles they have to play. And um, yeah, just kind of your thoughts in general of how you, how you parse that. Yeah. So, so I was, I was, it came about in a stream of consciousness actually when we did the um the first twitter spaces with um with ck and the guys and we were kind of talking about like what sort of percentage population is the remnant you know and you know we're, we're always talking about you know it, it's really like if you really break it down you know it's it's the one percent that really really make the difference but i was like man you know there is a lot of talented people out there and and, and for me i thought you know what the 80 20 rule seems to apply across you know nature across the universe across fucking everything and i thought okay well there's probably layers in this 80 20 which um sit kind of like you know the the babushka toys you know within each um, right within each thing so it's like um you know let's say if the remnant make up 20 percent of the population then likely 20 percent of those 20 percent which is really only four percent they're kind of awake and they fucking know what's going on and they've sort of been effectively unplugged right and you know by, by virtue of that analogy you know which is the matrix analogy the the other 80 percent of the 20 percent um i was thinking of a name for them and just hit me i was like you know they're, they're probably dormant like they, they have all of the ingredients available to be a remnant but they're still plugged into the fucking matrix right and they're the ones that we are primed to unplug. They're primed to unplug correct they're, they're, they have the the um the essence and the and the ingredients and the wherewithal to to be able to be unplugged right they're the ones who and i try to use the the matrix analogy in remnant part two is like they're the ones with the um the splinter in their mind you know like that knows something's wrong that knows something is off um and that have a desire to fucking uh, unplug and you know when we're thinking about uh, who to talk to it's them not the fucking masses not the 80 percent but those guys the, the 80 percent of the 20 percent um so then i thought well what about inside the active remnant like is there a subset there and i thought fuck that obviously is as well like so there's a there's an 80 20 there and it's probably like 80 20 all the way down until you get to the one final fucking remnant you know the, the sure. single person but you know in, in the absence of doing that kind of a, a pointless um you know analysis like I, I thought the the third one the radical remnant is really a nice way to kind of tie it off because uh 20 of four percent is basically one percent and that is really the fucking prime mover right that is the total radicals you know the the hardcore bitcoin fucking maxis the exclusionary um maximalists like the ones that the renegades are, the, the, the people who have no fear problem. essentially like they have totally. spent they have felt the truth lived the truth have no fear of the mat because it's actually like the fear is pointless because there's actually the fear of being swallowed by the masses is less than the fear of facing mass opposition it seems for those people and they're the builders right like they build shit they don't give a fuck what people say they don't care how much resistance there is they are uh you know the people the 300 who are facing insurmountable odds because it's such an it there's it's so important it's too important not to face the insurmountable odds right 
<laughs> they're the, they're the people who've basically discovered that you know meaning is the you know, the, the pursuit of meaning is the meaning of life um not some fleeting fucking version of happiness um or whatever mm. other scam that is sold to the masses basically um and that honestly the the dormant remnant have also been uh, brainwashed into believing you know by being drugged into submission and by virtue of being born into a fucking retarded society so yeah i think i think that layering is really important and what for me that you know was a way to help um i guess clarify for some people because a lot of people got triggered by the first article and it's hilarious you know that it's you know I, I got called everything from fucking klaus schwab's um spawn to like you know fucking all sorts of stuff and and for me it was good because you know it, you're it, smiling as you say this so i could tell you don't give a fuck it's great it was fucking hilarious so 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 for me like you know my intention on the second one was to to clarify for those who needed to hear it but then to also trigger the rest of the fuckwits like so i doubled down on this idea of you know masses and parasites um and tried to really like because in the first piece i didn't I, I spoke mainly about remnant and masses and then you know i got i moved into this sort of this third defining this third category of parasite who is like either a failed remnant or uh, what I called an envious member of the masses, like a jealous member of the masses, someone who can't compete in the the free market of the meritocratic. They need to create some sort of, you know, democratic institution so that they can leech from the productive members of society and then uh, distribute to the fucking lemmings. Um, so these are the parasites. The while, exactly. And all the while uh, extract from the system. So mm. So anyway, with yeah. with the, the through the veil of uh, of noble intentions, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that's the weird thing. It's like they this whole notion that they have an impenetrable shield that makes them feel indefensible or like uh, you know invisible, and they can do whatever they want because they're doing it with noble intentions. Like it's for us, and it's so it's so weird, man. It's it's a well, the people that fall for yeah. that marketing is literally the fucking lemmings, right? Because they they. <clears throat> They want to be saved because they don't want to fucking save themselves. Right. And, and the parasite feeds on that. Um, I don't know what to call it. Like an insecurity, you know, infant infantilization, you know, that sort of like that, that human being who is irresponsible for himself and expects somebody else to be responsible for him. Right. He's the person who falls for the marketing of the parasite. And the parasite knows exactly the parasite knows is the problem. Right. And they can't be part of the constructive solution. So they give like a false flag solution that will resonate with the masses. Right. There's a problem. Like there's huge disparities in wealth. Like, you know, they use all, they know exactly how to, how to, how to grab the masses. Um, would you say it's a fair thing to say that the dormant remnant is sort of like we said on the verge of being untethered but haven't yet been i guess orange pilled i think you might have used that terminology where it's like if we can orange pill the dormant remnant um that is already on like they're primed they're on the cusp they know something's fucked up maybe they're tethered by like you know the people that they surround themselves with at that point yeah, in time or the job or, they're working in or whatever yeah or a job yeah, yeah something they deem i something they deem unsurmountable right now until they experience so much pain that they're forced to shift um yeah. Like for me, that layering mental model, it's like, I instantly started going through an inventory of the people who I respect a lot and trying to place them. And it's like, yeah, yeah they're all in the remnant. 
Um, but you instantly, like once you see that categorization, you can't unsee it and you instantly know, mm -hmm. okay, I know who that is. I know what, I know who those are. I know the people I want to hang around. And I also start to be able to identify people who are the dormant remnant, which I think is the most, you know, this brings us to selective adoption where it's like conservation of energy is going to literally be the most important thing for all the remnant. And for, I would say for everyone in the next decade, mm -hmm, it's going to mm -hmm, be fucking mm -hmm. messy. Um, but knowing this whole notion that like direct your energy only to fruitful endeavors, AKA only talk to people about Bitcoin who, you know, are on the verge of of being able to get Bitcoin, right? Who see the fuckery, who are the dormant remnant, who are ready to be untethered, but haven't quite done it yet. And it's like, yeah, I think I, I loved when I read your uh, somewhere, one article where you're talking about how it's not about mass adoption, right? Like I'll even quote, uh, I think it was your, it was your article, Bitcoiners are the remnant. And the quote is mass adoption is never the goal for anything transformative because the opinion or behavior of the masses does not matter. Mm -hmm. That was powerful because I think there's a lot of wasted energy fighting with people who have no hope in hell of getting this. And it's just wasted energy because that energy could be directed towards more important things, right? Towards reducing the friction into the next world because arguing with stupid people that have no desire or curiosity to even understand how fucked up the world is, is not, it's not a good use of energy. So I, I, mm -hmm. I'd love for you to love to hear you talk about just selective adoption, how that came to you. Was that stimulated by Isaiah's story? Possibly. I mean, it was, I mean, it's in that, it's in that first article. So it's like, um, I mean, I did an article a couple years ago now, I think it was almost two years ago or whatever. And it was called do not buy Bitcoin. Um, and it was a call to, um, basically I'd, I'd had enough at that point of, um, of trying to convince people like, you know, why, why should I buy Bitcoin? And everything. I was like, you know what? Fuck you. Don't buy Bitcoin. <laughs> Yeah. You know, please buy, buy, exactly. buy fucking Ethereum, buy Dogecoin, buy fucking euros, please buy fucking Zimbabwean dollars, go buy anything other than Bitcoin, please. When the time comes later, you can clean my fucking toilet for, you know, two sets an hour, like, fuck you. Um, and, and I'd had enough of that at that point. And for me, I think that, that, um, that energy has, you know, been with me for a while because I mean, I've been producing i've done the work i've done all this sort of stuff so, so the onus is not on me to convince you the onus is on you to do the fucking work right. to, to basically if you have to climb mount stupid and come back down like that that onus is on you i i don't need to climb back up there and fucking bring you down like i've already done that i'm fucking on a different journey and i don't need to save your dumb ass you need to fucking save yourself like this is about responsibility so you know, I think that that piece alongside, you know, the, the idea of a remnant and the idea of, you know, what's said in Isaiah's job. Um, I mean, I think that sort of has culminated into this, um, this idea of um, selective adoption. And, and for me, the, the, the term mass adoption, I think, is just always really just fucking irked me, man. When I hear people say it, it just sounds like such a platitude. And I, I'm at this point in my life just allergic to platitudes and vagaries. Like as soon as I hear people talk about we're all in this together, you know, it's for the greater good, you know, mass adoption, this fucking this and that. Like I just want to fucking throw up. And I was, I guess, trying to think of a terminology. It's like, you know, what really matters? Is it mass adoption? Or is it something else? And the term selective adoption came to me and I was like, fuck, this is what it is. It's like every single transformational fucking phenomenon or technology that has ever fucking happened has literally been adopted initially by the archetype that is 
affected with the remnant that the people who think different and can imagine something different like it is you know anything transformational is zero to one in nature but to 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 recognize a zero to one thing you have to be able to see beyond the current paradigm and the fucking sheep never see beyond the current paradigm they, they can't do it like so for them and as i sort of say in the in the essay it's like those motherfuckers will walk into the gulags with a smile on their face or they'll walk into the free sovereign citadels with a smile on their face and they'll have no fucking idea of the difference because that's the status quo so as a result trying to convince those monkeys doesn't matter what we need to do is we need to convince the the right people get them on board with us set the new standard and then the the lemmings will default um so so they get the benefit that they basically like I, you know, there's this saying that I used to love, which is there's three types of people in the world, those who make things happen, those who watch things happen, and those who wonder what the fuck happened, right? And the lemmings are basically the, the third category. They don't know what yeah. the fuck's going on. They don't know what's happening. You know, they're fucking walking around with, you know, yeah. three masks on, you know, in the fresh air outside. Yeah, blissfully you know, ignorant. And, you know, not only will they walk into the gulags with a smile, they'll get pissed when you don't walk in. And they won't thank you for building in Citadel. They won't because they don't even know what happened, right? And that's, and I, I think... You know, there's no point in trying to sway the masses who don't give a fuck and will never give a fuck because it's literally just dilution of energy and it doesn't actually matter. It has zero net positive effect. And, it, you know, that really resonates because like people who aren't even curious about Bitcoin trying and I've done, you know, I think you learn it by doing it right. You learn it by just diluting the shit out of your energy by trying to convince people about Bitcoin because you're pissed that they don't understand it and they're probably spreading, spreading bullshit about it. But at the end of the day, the people who aren't ready to get it have, there's no need to try and make them get it. And I think by doing that, we actually reduce the potential energy that can be funneled into actually meaningful things. Totally, um, totally. We, 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 we all, in some sense, uh, suffer from Captain Saberho um, syndrome, which is we're always trying to save some motherfucker, right? And right. the thing is, we, we get caught up in that because um, we forget that, you know, the, the first person we should save is ourselves. Um, and then subsequently, we should save those who are willing to be saved. So it's like if we're on a life raft and we're throwing out a rope um, and the person's drowning and they're like, fuck you. Why are you giving me this rope? Like, what's the rope made of and all that sort of stuff? It's like <laughs> there's a hundred other people out there like yeah. waving for the rope that yeah. are willing to be saved. Yeah. And you're here arguing with this fucking idiot about why you should save him. Fuck him. Yeah. Give the rope to someone who wants to be saved. Exactly. Yeah. They're complaining about, Oh, I want the other color of, uh, of floaty. It's like, I don't know about this one. I'm not sure of it. It's like, meanwhile, people are just grabbing. They're like, yeah, I'll grab anything. Like send me a fucking piece of, you know, dental floss. I'll grab it because I just want to not die. And I'm, and Mm -hmm. I understand this is an emergency, right? I think, I think the understanding of the emergency is like you have reality and then you have the mirage. The longer people spend in the mirage, the more uncomfortable it is to actually confront reality. So they will get to a point where literally the mirage is so much easier that it doesn't matter how much disconfirming evidence they get from constant little nudges from reality. They just won't do it. And obviously there's a spectrum whereby like a few people will jump, a few more people will jump at, in the end, when there isn't actually a mirage to stay in, they'll just appear in reality. It'll be better. And they, they'll blissfully not give a shit of how it got there. And I think it's like this whole notion that the remnant is kind of a thankless job, right? Like you're creating something mm-hmm. for the masses, not by saving individuals in the masses, but because that's the only thing that's going to be left in the next chapter. And 
So it takes a certain kind of person who not only is taking responsibility for themselves, but also has like this deeper purpose that they're actually saving a lot of people by not trying to save individuals. And I think mm -hmm. that's like the, uh, the deeper sense of this mission is like, this isn't just like a personal mission for me or my family or my country. It's like, a this is literally so important. And it's when you say that to people, they're like, oh yeah, sure. Bitcoin's so important. It's like very few people understand it um, because very few people have actually taken the responsibility to you know, I come from background in health. I see how many people, how few people take responsibility for just taking care of themselves. Mm -hmm. And I think that's largely in part, you know, a big reason I shifted over to Bitcoin full time is like the health problem is a, a symptom of the money problem. Really you know, I'm trying to, I'm literally spending my life energy for the past five years, five years, I've spent it trying to convince the luckiest people on planet earth, people in North America to take care of themselves, I'm trying to convince them to take care of themselves. It's like, what the fuck is going on? Why am I convincing you? Right. Like I'd like rather help someone that is actually in trouble and wants to get better. And then I kind of realized like, well, if everyone's time's getting stolen, so no wonder no one has time to take care of themselves or even to understand what's going on. And I've started to be much more selective in who I speak to. Um, cause I used to get in arguments with people. I have friends that are in finance. I used to get in crazy arguments where I would just get so flustered at how dumb they were mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. for not like, cause their worldview gets rocked, right? These people, the deeper they are in finance, the thicker the, the glasses they have on where they're just unaccepting that their worldview that they've spent so much time and gotten so much confirmation from the money they've made when that thing gets destroyed, it's too uncomfortable. And so I've, yeah. I've just left them. I don't even answer yeah. a question because a lot of times they'll fish to get a reaction. I'm just like, I, there's no time anymore. Like there's no energy is so scarce today that I have no, like my, um, my litmus test for who, whether you're worth having a conversation with is like, are you curious about Bitcoin? Do you actually want to understand it? Have you done any work to understand it? Because uh, even if you're curious, but you haven't done any work, I'm not going to lecture to you. It's like, here's some resources. Tell me when you've read these mm -hmm. and then we'll talk and like put yep. enough work on their plate that it's like, yeah, if they don't get there, then they're, they're, not, they're not even a member of the remnant worth talking to. That's and um, I think it's so important. I really think it is like uh, protection of your energy and conservation of energy. That's what Bitcoin is, conservation of energy. That's what health is. And I think we personally need to do it. And I think it's the most important thing for people in the remnant to understand because it's, it's how the remnant is most effective. Absolutely, man. It's, um, it's, it's a, and it's a liberating feeling in the end, man. Like in the end, you're like, you know, you, you actually free up your own time um, and you free up your, your own headspace to work on more important things than battling in the trenches with the swine who don't deserve to have pearls cast before them. Right. Um, you know, it's a, and even though like, you know, from a macro standpoint and from a longer time, you know, standpoint, like there is, as you said, that there's a deeper meaning towards doing this. Like there's a deeper meaning associated with the mission of Bitcoin. It's like, you know, when you step back for a moment, you can genuinely tell yourself that you're going to help these people anyway, but you're not going to get dirty and be brought down in the process. You're going to right. fix the money, fix the world, and then they'll benefit. Um, and I mean, it's, it's also synonymous to, you know, leading by example and all this sort of stuff. Like these, these principles are um, true across multiple dimensions, but yeah, man, the, I encourage everyone to become just, you know, 
more selective. Um, stop, you know, wasting your time with people who just don't deserve it, man. Um, it's a, it's a liberating feeling. I respect people a lot that say no to me for, cause I ask a lot of people to do podcasts and I, I, I assume that 10% of them will because they're people who are important enough that only 10% of them should be saying yes. But this whole notion that like saying no, there's different ways to say no also. Right. But this whole notion that like, I respect people a shitload who say no, cause I know they're, they're simply just, they're cordoning off their energy to prioritize on what matters. And that might be themselves, their families or, or Bitcoin, but um, people who say yes to everything don't really end up accomplishing anything meaningful in the end. Like you, you and I've, and the only reason I've kind of come to that realization is because I did it for a long time. And now it's just like, if it's not an absolutely fuck yes, I need to do that. Then I just say no. Then it's a no. Yeah. I mean, there is the the caveat, as I mentioned to that, I think is in your twenties, you need to like viscerally experience that, which is similar to climbing Mount stupid, right? So that you can viscerally experience, uh, the 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 fallacy that is you know the shitcoin space and web3 and all the fucking marketing right so so in some senses you know that um saying yes to a lot of things particularly in your younger years has um has use right it has has utility um but the thing is doing that for the rest of your life like that there's um my mom's partner actually is a bit like that. So he's, he's been a yes man all his life. He's a very productive person, very competent as well. Like, but he is a fucking simp man. Like he's just says yes to everything and he gets taken advantage of by everyone. Mm. Um, and for his entire life, like, you know, he's, he's run uh, different construction businesses and um, he's, he's an absolute fucking savant when it comes to that stuff. He's very, very competent, but he just gets used by everyone. Um, and it's, and it's a shame to see, right. Um and I think part of part of maturation as a human being is learning to really fucking create boundaries that you know lines that you will not fucking cross. And and that that's that you know leads into one of the other problems of society today is that we've blurred every line. Everything is relative. You know, there's no objective truths. There's no mm. objective morals. Allegedly. Um, and as such, yeah, allegedly. And as such. Um, everything is just fucking wishy-washy um no one knows what's real and what's not real everything is a quote-unquote illusion and a fucking shared fiction if you believe idiots like fucking Yuval Harari like um you know the everything then just basically becomes you know nihilistic meaninglessness um and and that's sort of where we're living today is like a, a borderless boundless mindless meaningless immoral fucking existence which is defined by the you know whatever fucking model you want to associate with reality today um versus you know tomorrow and it's fucking horseshit agreed i mean that the, the uh, being devoid of meaning is insanely painful at a deep level and so all you can do is seek pleasure to distract from the fact that it's so shitty and you get stuck in that distraction trap because we have powerful distractions today. And back to what you're saying about using your twenties. Like I, I often, um, I have a mental model of exploration versus exploitation in health where like mm-hmm. you must explore 
in order to gather enough data to be able to analyze and then determine what is most salient and useful. And then you can exploit that data. You know, exploitation has a negative connotation, but really all it means mm -hmm. is like taking useful information and then applying it to maximize the benefit from that information. And I think, like you said, 20s, if you explore that, the more vastly you explore, the more data you have to actually be able to, to pick the most salient things from, right? I think sometimes people exploit too early where like, you know, you took the, out of 10 pieces of data, you took the best one. But what if there's a hundred pieces of data? You're probably going to have a much bigger subset of good things to choose from. Um, but I think it's very important to, to hit that inversion where it's like, now I'm just going to focus on what, I, like I had to spend time figuring out what matters, what I like, what I can, what I'm useful for. But now I have to radically prioritize my energy towards the thing that matters. Cause you can't do more than just a few things meaningfully, if it's an important mission. And, um, I think people find it, they get sucked into this shaming that prioritizing means you're being selfish. Mm -hmm. And it's mm -hmm. a super weird thing because it's, especially with health, right? Like I, I say no to a lot of things. Like I go to bed at nine o'clock most nights and people are like, why don't you just come out for drinks? It's like, I don't like fucking, I don't, I'd rather smoke a joint at six, read something, go hang out with someone and then go to bed at nine. Like I'm not, um, I don't give a shit about the things that I used to care about. I don't give a shit about pandering to what people, you know, invite mm -hmm. me to. And I, it's funny because people who get upset at that inevitably come back in the end. They're like, why, like, why do you say no to these things? Like, what does your routine look like? And they end up being curious, but I think it's, you have to make the conscious decision and know what your values are in order to prioritize. I think there's just no value set in modern day to even guide people. Like they have no, um, they have no keel on their ship. So they're just like floating around mindlessly and doing what everyone else is doing. Well, um, yeah, I mean, but, but it also, I mean, it ties into the, the idea that we've been told selfishness is a bad thing. Um, sure. And this is sort of where, you know, Ayn Rand really um, challenged my thinking um, or, or at least spoke to the part of me that kind of knew there was something true in the virtue of selfishness, which is you can't help anybody else unless you help yourself first. Um, and it, and it really is like the, the, what they, you know, still, I think say on flights, but you know, what was the traditional rule, right. Is like, you put your mask on yourself fucking first before you right. put the mask on anybody else, yeah. you know, now like that, that whole principle has been inverted. Like you don't matter. You need to protect other people somehow. It's like this, this whole fucking right. inversion of, uh, morality and principles and this, this basically vilification of the, the morality of selfishness um, and selfishness is a beautiful thing. Like, you know, now there, there is a shadow selfishness um, and there is a light side of selfishness and the light side of selfishness is, you know, taking care of yourself, prioritizing, you know, uh, protecting your fucking energy, not letting vampires leech it, not letting stupidity leech it, etc. So there's this selective element of the, the light side of selfishness, you know, the shadow side of selfishness is like, you know, maybe, um, you know, using other people to your advantage at to their disadvantage, you know, right. is like, you know, sucking from people being parasitic, like that's the shadow side of selfishness. And yes, that does have, um, you know, bad consequences. But um, and that's something where morality really comes into into play is like, you know, there's a boundary between the light side and the shadow side of, um, of selfishness. And it's it's up to us to know where that boundary is and to have the integrity the individual and personal integrity to know where it is and to actually stand, um, stand guard at that point. But um, yeah, I think, you know, people have been brainwashed into thinking blanket, um, 
you know, this, this false idea that selfishness is bad and that, you know, what is good is, you know, continuing to basically be a slave to others' opinions um, at the expense of, you know, your own health, your own peace, your own, you know, knowledge, your own uh, responsibility, your own capacity to decide. Um, and that has had severe ramifications on society. Like we have, we have regressed more in the last decade than I think we've ever regressed as a fucking society. Um, you know, we, we've not progressed. We have fucking regressed. Um, people are dumber. People are more depressed. People are more fucking uh, prone to, you know, lemming uh, behavior. All of this sort of stuff is worse, right? Like, that we, you know, just because technology seems to have gotten ahead and camouflaged some of the stuff, like, I mean, the reality underneath the fucking bonnet is that the world's fucked, man. The world's in a really bad fucking place the, the, you know, the cancer is spread. And, you know, just because you're putting makeup on someone doesn't mean they're not dying inside. Um, and that's sort of, you know, the, the state of the world at the moment, um, all because of, you know, the, the conflation of, um, of certain principles and, and certain heuristics. It's almost like people have gotten so comfortable with the nihilist perspective that they don't even want to have a reason to have hope because that requires that they actually have to take an active part in, in realizing the mission that the hope is based on. Like I've seen this in some people where it's like, they think everything's fucked. And then you talk about how like, well, the way I see it is that Bitcoin solves all these problems. So I'm just going to spend my time on Bitcoin because it's the only thing that gives me hope. And they're, they instantly react by trying to find reasons that can't be true instead of inquiring as to why you think it's true. So it's almost like people like being in this, like they're actually, they actually like Big being tips. in that state and it's super yeah. creepy to see. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's the, it's the, it's the, uh, the transformation of victimhood into being a virtue um, and the vilification of the hero as someone that, oh, well, you're never going to achieve that anyway. So stop aspiring to be, you know, this person, like, you know, the, the whole, I mean, I was oh, you're better gym. than us. You think you're better than us. It's like, I can show you why I'm doing better than you. Correct. <laughs> like, yeah. I, and and, it's, yeah. I was at this place called plus fitness or some shit in Austin. Right. And, um, and, you know, they, they have a, they have a policy inside there where, you know, like uh, no tank tops and, you know, this is a safe place for everyone. And they've got photos of like, you know, instead of fit people, like fucking fat people. And I'm like, what the fuck is going on here? Like, you know, th yeah. that is nothing to aspire towards. Like I don't, I, there's zero, um, desire for me to want to be like I'm in a fucking gym first of all like I'm here to like get fit not not become the worst version of myself and this yeah. is again it's it's the vilification of um you know the the pursuit of something meaningful and challenging and the normalization of uh you know the 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 lemming like lowest common denominator equality vision of we're all the fucking same and you know none of us really matter like and it's it's dangerous man yeah, it's, it's basically making forfeiting responsibility a virtue and then shaming people who take responsibility. And it's the goofiest thing when you see it in blatant terms. Like that's a prime example. And it's, it's so weird how people gravitate towards finding excuses, even people who know it's weird. Like I know people who see it but are still in it. I'm like, dude, like those aren't supposed to coincide. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. But it's the the... And I think there's obviously other factors like no one has fucking bandwidth right now because everyone's just getting smashed 24-7 to try and keep them so far underwater that they're in survival mode and can't actually understand these things.
But eventually, you know, people that I almost wrote off are starting now to see like, this doesn't make fucking sense. Like I can't actually fool myself any further because every day I'm getting such high frequency um, nudges to say that I'm fooling myself that I, I need to stop at some point. And, um, you know, it's almost like selective adoption still holds true. Conservation of energy still holds true. So it's almost like we all have to draw our own lines as to like, is that person actually worth speaking to now? Like they weren't before for sure, but now I'm getting hints that maybe they're starting to be ready, right? Cause more mm -hmm. people are going to get ready, right? As this gets more and more obvious and it's, you know, I don't think the radical remnant should be the ones helping the just newly ready people, right? So like the radical remnant just needs to literally block everything off, except for the most important thing that only they can do. Um, but I think it's almost like this Passover where the people that people in my family that have orange pill, they're now starting to like bring this up once they get it, they can't unget it. Right. But it's that getting it point is so hard to, it's so hard to hit the peak so that you can start going down the other side. But, um, yeah, I just really think your case for selective adoption makes a shitload of sense. I think it's like selective, uh, energy expenditure is also like very much aligned with that. We're like select where you put your attention and also know where you put your attention. I think very few people actually know where their time goes, right? Oh, I don't have enough time to do that. It's like, where the fuck does your time go? I have yeah, the same amount exactly. of time. Yeah. Like, yeah. what do you, do you know where your time goes? Um, most people are shocked when they do a time audit where they're like, Whoa, I didn't think I was spending that much time doing that. It's like they black out in certain things. Um, Last thing I want to talk about is just this notion of building for the future and how if you're in the system, you cannot build for the future system. And so only the people who objectively see the previous system are outside of it. Maybe they're still co-surviving co with that system. But this notion that people who build the future are no longer in the matrix. And, you know, like they're the ones who like Gretzky, like you don't go where the puck is, you go where the puck's going to be like being able to visualize what the future world might look like is the only way that you can actually build tools to, to bring us to that world. And so what has it been like for you as the process of developing and building Amber of like building for the future? And do you see other people? Um, like there must be a lot of commonalities and other people you come across that are building for the future. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I think entrepreneurs in general are people who um, they're, they're basically influenced by one of a few things. It's um, it's they're influenced by incentives and opportunity. Um, but then I think the best entrepreneurs are influenced by um, a vision of something that is yet to exist. Right. And, and I think, you know, maybe the delineation there is like the businessman versus the entrepreneur, right? Because the entrepreneur brings something into reality, into existence that is yet to exist. Whereas the businessman sees, you know, that which already exists, um, finds the opportunity and capitalizes on it. And both have their place. But I think the, the, real, um, the real leader or the real hero in the story of humanity is the entrepreneur in that sense is he is the one that sees that which doesn't yet exist and has the courage to build it. So it's probably the, a good way to think about it is it's the difference between a Steve Jobs and a Tim Cook, right? Mm -hmm. um, Tim Cook's a fantastic operator, a fantastic businessman. You know, he's, he's managed to keep, you know, Apple doing stuff, but Apple's not interesting anymore. Like what have they done in the last fucking 10 years since uh, Jobs right. passed away? You know, they've, they've created new versions of the iPad, new versions of the iPhone, new versions of the MacBook. And what the greatest innovation was the fucking AirPods. 
Congratulations. Um, They've executed a freeze dried version of what Steve's vision was. They haven't actually evolved the vision. Totally. And, and, and that's the, that's the big difference between an entrepreneur and, and, and a businessman. And I think the, I mean, I, I mean, guess they're both a, needed, right? They're both absolutely needed. Absolutely. You, you need them both. But I think in today's day and age, um, you know, I, I'm not sure I'm undecided on this. I don't know if this is an ideal time for entrepreneurs or if it's a non-ideal time for entrepreneurs, because like, you know, at the, you know, fundamentally speaking, everything is so uncertain that you can't really, you know, think or reinvent the future, or reimagine it. Um, but then again, because it's so uncertain, maybe that is the impetus to reimagine and reinvent. So, so I'm not sure. I, I guess I think we're selecting for the most fearless entrepreneurs who have the most radical visions. Probably, probably. Which means there's, there's less of them, but um, the ones who actually decide to to seek liftoff, to put in the work to get liftoff, which is it's way harder now to get liftoff than it probably ever has been before. Um, I mean, they have to be they have to be wanting to build something so important that it's worth doing at a time like now. Yeah, I guess maybe it's more dangerous now to be an entrepreneur. That's probably the the delineation because you know being an entreprener right now is actually um, her- heretical, right? Like if you want to be an entrepreneur and like create something that doesn't exist, you actually have to go against this entire fucking machinery of a broken system, which right. seeks to basically quell entrepreneurialism and turn everything into some sort of uh, sterilized, sanitized equation um, of life. So so maybe as you said, it's like the most radical entrepreneurs will rise, but it is also the most dangerous time in history to be an entrepreneur because you are genuinely a fucking heretic. Yes. And you're, and you're taking on more risk than ever before because there's totally. way more attack vectors for things that you never even knew would be an attack vector. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. Dude, it's been a treat talking with you. I want to be sensitive with your time. So where can people find more information about what you're doing um, what you're up to at Amber and sort of, you know, what, any exciting things you got coming up in the future. Yeah, sweet. So, I mean, if you're in Australia or the US, amber.app um, is the app. Um, they're the two countries to cover. Um, but I think me c- coming into 2022, I think I'm going to start like moving away from uh, the, the business stuff and focusing more on the written word. Um, so I'm going to be looking at publishing maybe a book or two, cool. um, maybe three, let's see. Um I want to focus more on podcasts, um, a little bit more on speaking. So, so that's kind of like the, the direction I'm going to start moving my, my time and energy into. I've, I've got a lot to, to say. Um, and I think I've, you know, Amber's come to a point where it's, um, where it's stable enough to, to operate and, and, and produce. But I feel like my passion, my, my, my mission needs to realign. So there'll be some changes for me in 2022. Um, and yeah, so if people want to find that, like, I mean, svetsky.medium.com um, or on Bitcoin Magazine, just search for Alex Svetsky, you'll find me there. Um, or on Twitter, Ghost of Svetsky. Um, or the Alex podcast. is spelled A-L-E-K-S, right? That's it, A-L-E-K-S. Um, or the podcast, um, Wake Up Podcast. So it's uh, anchor.fm forward slash wake up pod. Powerful. Sweet. More signal for, uh, more signal for the remnant. Absolutely. Get those dormant motherfuckers into the active phase. Um, There's no fucking awake, man. (laughs) Alex, thanks for joining us at the Bitcoin Stoa. To everyone listening, thanks for being here and listening. Uh, We hope you enjoyed the conversation. And uh, if you want to support the project, head to bitcoinstoa.com. You can send some some sats to the QR code there, or you can send it using something like Breeze Wallet. So uh, thanks for listening. Ciao for now.